1: On today's episode, I speak to the podcaster's podcaster. Welcome to the podcast. If you like us, leave a comment below. Subscribe to our YouTube channel now. And make sure you never miss another upload. It's time to bring you yet another amazing episode. Chatting Tracks. With Rob, the face for Radio Burgess. Hello and welcome to this edition of Chatting Tracks. Thank you so much for following me over from the 831 Show podcast. And I can see people have been sharing it on their Facebook pages and letting everybody know about the new show. Thank you so much. It means so much to me. I really, really love you for that. Thank you so much. If you've not done it, like and subscribe. And if you haven't done it on YouTube, please subscribe on there as well because it means a great deal to me. Thank you so much. Love you all. On today's episode, I speak to the fantastic Steve Cooper, who hosts the podcast Cooper Talk. Now, this man's had everyone on there you can imagine, from actors to musicians. There'll be a link in the description. Please follow his show. It's absolutely fantastic. He's a great guy, and we had a wonderful chat. We spoke about 80s movies, growing up in the 80s, and the importance of comedy records. We had a great time. I hope you enjoy it, and I'll see you in the next one. Ta-da. So, obviously, your podcast covers uh, musicians and comedians and everything in between. Um, Growing up in your house, was it very musical? Was your parents into music?
0: Um, well, my dad played saxophone growing up, and, my, and I was in a musical. So my brother played drums. My sister played the French horn and the cello, which is the most odd thing. But I always remembered that we had, a, we had a stereo in our kitchen, and my dad would listen to Guy Lombardo and different jazz. They really didn't listen to rock music. But as a kid, because I'm 59, so when we took trips in the car, there was AM radio. So I'd hear you know Sweet Caroline and Tom Jones. In fact, my first... My first two albums were the Partridge family and a Tom Jones album but then so I grew I just I grew up the music was always there but it wasn't in the forefront I wasn't from a per se rock family I was from a jazz my parents were older when they had
1: me so that's what I went through amazing and so you obviously you went into comedy a little bit later was you interested in comedians and music at the same time or was it a different thing was you like more music or more comedy
0: well, you know, music. My I shared a room with my older brother, and he listened to Chicago, and I remember he had all the Chicago albums, and he had, you know, he listened to all these great albums. And at one point, he had Cheech and Chong's uh, Wedding Album, which I, I interviewed Tommy Chong a few months ago, and it was funny because he, he talked for like an hour forty five minutes. He's getting stoned, and uh, <laughs> it really caught me. But I love them both. I really love music and comedy. And I knew, though, you know, as I got older, I, I took guitar lab at high school and I sucked. I couldn't even play. Like In my head, I would hear like, duh, 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 and then I go, wait, I, I couldn't play it. So I, I had a love for both. But, you know, the way I got into comedy is when I was in college, when I was a freshman, and I was big into the 80s, and this is 80s show, I, I loved all the, you know, Billy Idol, all that. But Rick Springfield, I used to do a Rick Springfield, Jesse's Girl air guitar. And my freshman year... I used to hang out with a senior we called Ziggy and he played guitar and they called him Ziggy like Ziggy Stardust. he curly hair, big man on campus. He liked me because I made him laugh. And they had this contest at my school. I went to Stockton State University in South Jersey, which now is Richard Stockton University. And they had a contest called Mr. Stockton. And it was a spoof of like Miss America's, but these guys are serious. So there's all these buff dudes that get body, you know, the body contest and that. And for talent, they said, "Dude, you know," and I at that time I thought maybe eventually I'll get into comedy, but I didn't know I'm. You know, I was going to school for business. I didn't know, but they said, "Dude, you know, you got to do this." And they said, "Do a Rich Springfield air guitar." So I said, "All right." So my buddy you get guitar. We put Springfield on the back. I had picks. I wrote my name on it. I had like the '80s outfit, and I remember I got on the news. I got in the paper. I took second, and I went on stage, and I was doing Jesse's girl. And I was killing it, man. And I, people from college still remember me for that. I mean, at my wedding, I got married for my second time four years ago. I had the DJ play that. My friends were dying. But it was amazing. Being on stage was amazing. And uh, I mean, I all these senior girls hitting on me. I had all these women. I was like, oh, my God, this is the best. And that, that ended up getting my taste of entertaining. But I knew I sucked at music, so I could never be a musician. So when I got out of college... And like a year later, I was selling fax machines, which are like, they don't make them anymore. And I started doing open mics in Philly. I took a, a, a class how to get me into comedy and I started doing comedy that way.
1: So what did you find harder originally? Was it music or comedy to do first? Which one did you find harder to?
0: Well, I did do music because I sucked at it. So, I mean, I would that's I would love to. But comedy, you know, comedy is... It's interesting comedy and music. And i, and I talk talked to a lot of musicians about this. And if you're a musician, and it's different in England, I've heard like hell stories of gigs in England, how like Gary Newman told me how when he came back big, people hated him because he was popular. And he's like, you know, he said people are very mean when you get success. Like the people at the corner the pub are like, oh, this guy's a jerk now. He's too big for us. But the thing about music is musicians go on stage and people are there. You know, they don't have to prove themselves. You go to a show, unless you're an Uber, you go up, you play your songs. If you're popular, people know your songs, you know, especially the best big research of '80s bands. Comedy, a lot of people go into the attitude. Some a lot go to laugh, but a lot of them go into hey, make make me laugh, make me laugh. And so it's hard that way for the fact that um, you know, I mean, I, I there's nights where you just bomb. You had mm-hmm. to sit there and get back up. You know, the thing is, you'll you learn that you know if you don't bomb, you shouldn't bomb a lot. I mean, I would bomb every ten shows, once every ten shows, but or maybe more. I I was consistent, but I knew I knew my audiences. But comedy. Once you get into it it's not hard. It's just anything, I think any art. It's just getting to that step where you know
1: you go on stage and you're going to kick ass. Mm. Do you think bombing is an important part of the process like musicians with failed gigs? Do you think that's just as important?
0: Oh yeah, I mean I the first time I ever did comedy I did an open mic and I did great. And I was 23 or 24. And, and you have that young brashness. And you're like, oh, I'm great. You're like, you, you know, oh, next week I'm going to be headlining this club. Now, you have no idea what it takes years to get to that point. So you go up and you're just, you're cocky. You know, I'm walking out of the club full of myself, you know. And then I come back on the next week and I die. And I just die. And I didn't come back for like six weeks to the open mm-hmm. mics. Because you just, you feel humiliated. But you sit there and go, it's going to happen. I mean, you have to know. It's like anything, you know, and then as you even as you work, you play bad gigs where you're just there for the money. You know, you're playing in like some hillbilly town in West Virginia and you're going, I'm going to I'm going to eat it. You know, they're not going to get me, but you have to stay true to the craft. And that's what I love about a lot of musicians in the 80s musicians. They, they stay true to their craft and they, they keep bringing it.
1: That's what I think is interesting about um, comedy and music, the mix together when you get a good sort of tenacious D-band that can cross over. That's amazing. But prior to that, you know, you would get vinyl albums of comedian sets, wouldn't you? You'd get like Steve Martin live in LA or something. You just didn't get that in any other field or career. It was great. Yeah, you
0: know, the Steve Martin albums, that 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 and the Eddie Murphy album for people my age, for comics, the Eddie Murphy and the Richard Pryors. And there were co- there were concerts. You know I mean? Carlin did some more stuff in studio and they did it. But it's like the live album, you know, you're doing, but the difference is, when a comedian does a live album or any album, that material is gone. He can do it for like a year, but he can do it. Musicians, of course, as we see, people can play the same song for 50, 60, whatever years, and um, which they do, and you still enjoy it. But with comedy, I think once you've heard a joke, you've laughed. Mm. You know, it's the difference when you laugh is something. But when you listen to a good song, I mean, I can sit there and I'll sit in my living room and I'll have a few beers. And I have, a, I get Amazon Music Unlimited. So I have everything I want on Alexa. And I'll just go, you know, I'll play the outfield or play this song or whatever I'm in the mood for. You can listen to songs and they take you back in time. Music takes you back in time. Comedy doesn't really take you back in time. Comedy makes you laugh, but most people forget comedy bits. I mean, I work, I work with a comic a few weeks ago and I've worked, I open, he was in letterman a few times when I'm, when he's in town, I open for him. And I, I don't perform a lot, but that's, I always open, open for him in I always like, was a city winery, great gigs. I can't, I can't name his act. I know he does a <laughs> Rocky impression, but then, but I can't. But with music, you go, oh, my God, you remember it.
1: What's interesting, um, in England at the minute, I don't know if it's the same in the States, but I've seen tribute artists of comedians popping up that are doing like their famous DVD or album, and people are paying to go and see that. And I don't know why people don't just put the original one on.
0: <laughs> you know, it's funny. I know one guy who does that, but it's a tribute to Robert Williams who has passed He has Robert Williams down to, I mean, it's perfect. The guy's, his name's Roger Cabler, and um, it's great. But in America, that doesn't really fly because, you know, people don't, I wouldn't go see a, 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 you're not doing your act. I mean, it's different if it's like a, like I said, Robin Williams or like a Hedy Youngman or someone who's passed or a mm-hmm. Kinison. But even then you're like, you know what? I could just go watch a video of Kinison. I'm not going to pay my money to go see someone tell jokes. I already know, which is different because we'll go to see cover bands. But once again, the music. I mean, you know, growing up in New Jersey, going to the Jersey Shore. I mean, every I'm like, I probably heard "Brown Eyed Girl" by uh, so many people. Anywhere you go, they play that. My friend's in a big uh, cover band. I went to college with down the shore, and I went to see uh, him. I went drove down there, and I was like, I know what he's playing, you know. And I, but you still enjoy it. You're like, oh, Springsteen. I'm from New Jersey. Oh, I Springsteen. we'll listen. But yeah, with the comedy, I I, I couldn't do that because for me, I don't, first of all, I don't watch comedy. Hmm. I don't go to comedy clubs. My wife went to a comedy club with her friends because I I was, I, probably in my life, I've done over 2,500 shows wow. and I don't, I don't, I don't find fun. I, fi- I find fun when I did more hanging out with comics backstage or going out after, but I really don't like to watch comedy because hey, there's no reason, you know, there's no, I mean, yeah, you can support your friends, but we're performers.
1: I, w- I worked in a theater years ago and there was um we had four comedians on um they sort of did like a triple bill type thing and in the middle i had to take them some drinks in the dressing room and i went down there and they were selling jokes around the table to each other and that was funnier than the show
0: <laughs> well you know it's funny also if you ever get in a room of comics i had a party you if you ever get in a room of comics they stand up as they talk because we're so used to telling a joke so if you ever, <laughs> if you ever notice that if you ever if you happen to be in a room with comics And they, I mean, start talking louder. and funny thing is because a lot of us are introverts. Like We go out, we're not like, hey, we're the life of the party. Because the ones who ever did that were the comics that suck. You know, you go to a gig and someone will come in like, hey, we're the comedians. Meanwhile, i was trying to work on my act and this guy's trying to get laid. And I'm like, no, dude, I I don't want to talk. I I always looked at comedy when when it was my job. It was my job. I didn't drink before I went on stage. I didn't do anything. It was to go up because people paid good money. So that's see what i do now you know i don't screw around i mean i talk with the crowd but i i've learned when i perform people paid money and it's not like the economy in america is great right now so mm-hmm. people paid their money like i was in when i was at city winery in philadelphia people drove over the bridge they paid me whatever you know they bought their drinks they got a babysitter you have to be you can't go up drunk you can't be like you know you have to go up because it's entertainment look how pissed we get if a band goes on stage and they're wasted. I mean, Guns N' Roses were notorious for that back in the day. <laughs> you go and like, wait, I can't even understand a word this guy's saying, or you know, like the Sex Pistols when they walked off. It's like, no, we paid our money. And and it's funny, it just happened uh, down in Atlantic City. There was a double header concert. It was uh, Missing Persons, which I have interviewed uh, Dale Bazio and she's uh she she started crying about Frank Saba. Very interesting woman, you know, mm. very great stories it was and she can't they canceled so it was just a flock of seagulls but something mike score and a guitarist i've interviewed mike and mike's a great guy but they only play for like 45 minutes and people are like wait a second because i think casino shows are are shorter but it's like wait i paid i paid more money you know play i ran 52 times okay <laughs> i paid i paid up whatever 85 bucks i want to see a show and and that's the thing people don't get you know it's uh with music they get they gotta put on a good show is it
1: do you sort of understand what sort of comedian you are when you get into this world or is there sort of like you know that person's alternative that person's fam- family friendly do you sort of develop into what you are or do people automatically slot into those roles when they start comedy do you think
0: you develop okay when i started doing comedy i started doing it and then i started doing a character called steve the stud and I would pull my shoulders back. I like, go, oh, you psych. You psych. Yeah, before any like Urkel and all this people, and I wear a little bow tie and I pull my pants up and it got me comfortable, but I was writing good material for it. But then you get tired of that. So you develop. Like I was away from the game for a while and then I was in LA. I was doing it. And I even, but now after all these years, when I come back, I don't care anymore. So you do, I, so, you know, you like, you find your voice. And I think so You people develop, you know, you see people. I mean, George Carlin is a main example. He started up as a hippie weatherman and then he had to change it. So I think, you know, there are some people that will be pigeonholed in their whole career, like Stephen Wright, who does the model, you know, the series Keys. You're not going to always see Stephen Wright going up and going, hey, what's up, people? You know, it's not going to happen. But I think a lot of times when you're young, it's like anything in life. You know, we develop and you develop and you it's, and you, just Your writing style, I think, stays a lot the same, but how you develop and how you look at it—you know—you go into more storytelling. Because the the bottom line is, I always tell people this: comedians, and I think all entertainers, are the worst mix because we're insecure, part insecure, but we're part narcissistic, which doesn't (laughs) make sense. But we sit there, we need that, but then we're worried, you know. And so, but you, as you get to deal with that, you go. You get to a point where I know if I write a joke, if it's funny or not, if it's funny to me and I'll mm-hmm. do it. But I, I do on Facebook, I do these stupid jokes all the time and I do it as a joke. And at the end, I say, I'll see myself out and people <laughs> know it, but it's what people don't get is I would never do them on stage, but I enjoy that. But I think it's like anything, you know, a good, a lawyer will develop. You know, see people going from defense attorney to, you know, prosecutor. Or anything, or as you call it barristers, right? Is that what it's called a barrister? Yeah. Yep. And they wear the wigs. I, I saw a great show on uh on uh Showtime about that big uh bank robbery a few years ago with uh the MMA fighter and mm. uh they kind of say barristers. But I think it's like anything, as you develop, as you get older or as you just do it more, you get better. I mean when a baseball player comes for the first time, he's not gonna hit you know how many yard feet, but as you do it and as you grow. And you mature, you. Um, I think you, you, you,
1: your voice can change. What I love about comedy, it, it, particularly American comedy, is it. It falls into two categories, really, for me. There's the aeroplane level, which is amazingly brilliant, and your Naked Guns and your Hi. your obvious comedy. And then you've got like you, you mentioned Stephen Wright, who I think is a complete genius. I think he's amazing, and I love the way you've got that sort of left and right, top and bottom, and, and the middle sort of stuff is okay but it doesn't float if you know what I mean
0: well yeah well, you know it's funny airplane is one of those classic movies animal house caddyshack that's stuff like grew up on that it's like those were the movies I mean I can still watch animal house and laugh I can still watch airplane in fact I had uh I had um can't think of her name she was on uh the love boat and she was in airplane and she's the girl who's laying there when the nurse hits the the IV with her guitar
1: all right yeah
0: <laughs> Jill Whelan, that's her name, and she played a little girl in *Love Boat*. But you know, we talked about this: how that movie, if you watch it, it's just always funny. I mean, and it's stupid. Even you know, like there's a movie called *Scary Movie*, and here's how I break up movies and comedy: *Scary Movie*. You know what? Seventy-five percent of the jokes hit, but there's jokes every 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 minute. But then you watch something like *Something About Mary*, where it's not jokes every minute, but every joke hits it. And that's what's good about American comedy. You either have the rapid fire, blah, 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 which Stephen Wright did in his act, or the mm. joke like Kinnison's. what well, Kinison was big before he passed, like is like um, something about Mary. Set up, set up, set up, boom. And that's what I think what's great. And you know, that's what's great about comedy. That you can be so subjective. I mean, I love Woody Allen's comedy. You know, Woody Allen's very dry, you know, just very but if you break his jokes down, they're they're sort of simple and dumb. Yeah. But funny, like and take taking money and running, he goes, I wasn't, his teacher goes, he wasn't good at the uh, cello. He tried to blow into it. To me, <laughs> that's a funny, funny joke. <laughs> but when you break it down, it's just the visual. And that's what that's what's great about comedy. You know, some people just try to be, you know, now there's people who try to be shocked shock, comedy. And you know what? It's not shock comedy because everyone, if everyone's doing it and it's just a matter of this, I love the stupid comedy, but now clubs, people don't get the stupid comedy. There's a guy in Philadelphia named the legendary Wid. Been around forever. He's a prop act. All this props all over the stage, but his writing it's so stupid. It's so funny. I opened for him when I came visit my wife when I would fly in from LA, and I was dying. I mean, because it's so dumb, but it's so rapid fire, and he's so frantic. But now, I mean, if he started doing comedy now, people would be like, "What's that?" Because you know, people some people are trying to. You know, America's at the point where people are trying to be too hit, but they don't get it. It's like, I always say, like when punk rock was big, you have kids walking around from the suburbs with anarchy in the UK and it's like, you, you live in, you live in the suburbs of Philadelphia. There's no <laughs> anarchy. You know, it, it's like, it's, it is funny because it's like that to me. You probably see it with all the bands and the t-shirts. You see kids with all like the Nirvana t-shirts and you're like, do you know any song No, I
1: like the logo. It's like, well, you know, come on. <laughs> I know exactly what you mean. Like, Especially in England when the punks came out, you had the people with the pins and it was the Sun newspaper's guide to being a punk <laughs> and they'd all just yeah. read it. That's <laughs> amazing. It's a shame that um, comedy, like growing up, you, my mum used to take me around her friend's house and she had Young Frankenstein, The Jerk, Man with two brains and blazing saddles on video. And I used to watch them every time I went round there. And they, you know these amazing films could not get made today. And it's just because they're so subversive, but not subversive at all. You know.
0: Oh yeah, you know, I, I actually I just watched a jerk a few weeks ago. I was sitting there and it was it's like anything, hey, you flip around, you're bored, no way in hell how it get. Blazing saddles, no way to how it get made. But the funny thing is if you break it down, you know, blazing saddles was made by a Jewish man. You know, it's not like he was not like he's some racist. You know, Mel Brooks is a genius. Um, Young Frankenstein. And just, you know, I I think that's going to pass. That's funny because when I I work with my friend Joe Madarese, the guy I was at City Winery with, we're very lucky because we have the the same crowd. Mm. We we packed the place. We had 300 people there. Like 70 came to see me, a bunch came to see him, and then people just came up for comedy. But we know we get the 40 years and up Jewish, Italian, South Jersey, where we grew up, and Philadelphia. No one gets offended. No one. They go out to laugh. And I think, I think the offending it's people. I think they just do it to feel important. You know, there's a, there was a guy who was like trying to find people's tweets from eight years ago. Well, don't you have anything better to do? Eight <laughs> years from eight years, like you're gonna go through tweets. I don't even know how to look at tweets I did like a year ago. I don't even know. I mean, Facebook. Obviously, when it pops up, Facebook memory, so I know it. But I'm thinking, how much time do you have? Get a life you know maybe instead of doing that why don't you go watch a classic comic yeah it was a different time comedy was different you look back at the old prior stuff That's not to fly now hell there was deaf comedy jam there was you know there was all different things and back in the day you know yeah I mean I I had I did a bit about downtown Julie Brown and MTV and I forgot all about the bit at a young comic when I started he was he was 15. And he was from the hood in Philly, young black guy, Ronnie Lum, sent me a message on Facebook like three years ago. Was, remember that bit? And this is someone who was African American. He's like, that was so funny. I forgot about it because I basically said, you know, Julie Brown, she talks, you know, this next video. And I thought she'd be like, oh, yeah, this next video is crazy and shit. <laughs> and he thought it was funny. And, and I used to do a bit about Chris Rock, how Chris Rock, his bits are very long. I said, Chris Rock, you know, just. And, 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 and I did that and then my old line was, have you ever seen a brother eat guacamole? Nothing racist but some guy goes, oh, I think that's racist. They go, I go, how is that racist? I said, I had a party. I had a few African Americans. I texted them the next day. Did you have the guacamole? They said, "No, nah, we didn't eat it. So my joke was, "You never seen a, and I didn't. I was at a party. I had a party. I didn't see any of the, the my uh, black friends eat the guacamole. Nothing and I could have said, you know, I didn't see any uh, Gentiles eat the guacamole but the Gentiles were eating the guacamole Jews were eating a guacamole. It was a joke, but people, people, people find stuff just to get offended, and and, <laughs> and it's it's so sad. It's like, you know, there are things that are offensive, and I, I, I'm someone who believes in free speech, but I also believe in if you say something stupid, pay the consequences. But a joke from eight years ago, like when Kevin Hart backed out of the Oscars, he wrote it eight years ago. You know, you think about us, like we're both bald. Ten years ago, we had hair. You know, it, it's like people change and, and people, people don't understand that. But there's, there's these people that just stick to it all. You know, I'm like, you know, I have to find it out. I, people will put their foot in their mouth, but everyone's got to chill out because comedy's just come and you know, you watch the jerk, you're going to laugh. Yeah. It's all just, I mean, and you laugh and that's, couldn't get, I had saw someone wrote an article, and I am a big John Hughes fan, 80s music, movies you love wrote they were dissecting 16 candles how it was awful that you know anthony michael hall had sex with that girl when she was drunk and all this and it's like and then long duck dommer that would never fly now but (laughs) it was the 80s man i mean i went to college in the 80s i went to high school in the 80s i know what the 80s are like firsthand Mm -hmm. and the funny thing is a lot of the shit that's happening now wasn't happening in the 80s i mean you know like the the date rate We we didn't do that stuff you know we didn't we didn't yeah, I mean, glad that we always say glad there's no, you know, social media back then because there's some incriminating pictures of all of us. <laughs> but it, it's, I think the '80s. I was talking. You ever heard a movie called Valley Girl? Yeah. Okay. Well, I interviewed Deborah Foreman years ago, and, and we were talking, and we said I came up to the conclusion, and she agreed with me, that the '80s, there was no political correctness because none of us were jerks. You know, mm-hmm. we were. We had. Ma- It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H E L P. Patterns. Yeah, did we party? Yeah, but you know, and now it's like they're looking at the 80s stuff and it was a different time. You know, look, you have you electric cars now. Years ago, you had bicycles. So it's just funny how with comedy people get offended, but it's like things have changed, but funny is funny. I mean, you cannot, if you watch the jerk or animal house and you don't laugh, there's a problem. that's, that's (laughs) funny stuff.
1: I mean, the opti grab is amazing. Um, I mean, as well as that, you know, it's sort of, um, it started dangerous when you've got like Eddie Murphy back in the day as well. And it's kind of softened, softened as it's got on, which is the worst part. You figured it would get worse.
0: Eddie Murphy could have never have done the album he did now, because mm-hmm. there is language, and not language, there's certain you know words. There's one whole yeah, sketch about gay people, you know, mm-hmm. and it has the very derogatory term. A term I do hate, but that I mean, now he wouldn't do that now. But back then, you know, it, it's funny people, people. It's I was at I was at this kid's this guy's birthday party who grew up in my neighborhood. We call him Goofy goffinette Well he had a fake guy. And he had a very hard <laughs> life, but he was a good guy. And We surprised him for his birthday party. And we were talking to uh I was talking to this guy who was a pipe fitter, rough and tumble guy, real nice guy. And we talked about this one neighborhood that became very upgraded when it became uh eighty percent gay, which that's what happens. You know, the restaurants get better, it's just and it's great. But he he said not the whole effort, but he said, but he wasn't doing it meanly. It was just what he knew. And he wasn't, and he was saying, oh, it was great when the such and suches came in and not, he didn't use the OTS. But he said, it's such, you know, and some people just don't know better and it's not hateful. And and that's like with comedy, you know, sometimes people, it's like, again, I think people are going to be hateful, people are. And you can break it down, you know, musically lyrics too. People can have very mean lyrics. People can have good lyrics talking about the same thing.
1: It's crazy as well Like when you've got um, Age divergence When you've got Like my friend He's the same age as me So he's 45 And we were in work And there's a load of 20 year olds at work there And what they walked past And what, he just said to one of them Hello trouble Which is just an ex- English expression You know Hello trouble You're right As, as in uh, You're right And she told him I said you can't say that to me That's offensive And he was like What? She said how do you know I'm not tr- I'm trouble He's like I'm not
0: <laughs> it's just- it, 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 There's no common sense anymore And I, and I think You know It's <laughs> Yeah, I I had a an idea of bartenders like, hey, little girls, joking around. Don't, we're not little girls. He's like, yeah. it's, it's a joke, you know. I I I do it because I and I do it on my podcast. You know, you uh, people where I go, I say guys a lot, mm. and I don't mean like if I'm a group of people, okay guys. I don't mean like, and some mm. people are like, oh, well, we're girls. I'm like, well, it's it's I'm not making fun of you. And <laughs> it's, don't take it so literal. I'm saying, hey guys, and now yeah it, it's funny people people take everything so literal you know it, it's like no you know someone says i mean if someone comes and calls me baldy i'm not going to be offended even you know i mean but you're not going to walk in the bar and i going not gonna go hey baldy unless we know you but <laughs> it's uh yeah it, it's like the, the trouble thing it's it's just a term you know there's something called slang or something called turn it's not like not like he said hello bitch no he said hello trouble <laughs> oh okay well that's i wouldn't be offended by that but i've learned people People just get offended by everything, and I think it's social media, and I I, know, especially in America, there's a division in politics. I'm an independent. I don't get involved with it, but I remember years ago, I had a friend who was from England. We called him English Dave, actually. He was from London. (laughs) He was very liberal, and I had a friend, Dean, who was very conservative. We'd be at my place, and we'd be drinking and partying, you know, and they would start talking politics, but they'd respect each other. Mm. And they listen to each other. And I, it was fascinating to me to hear them. And at the end, maybe one says, well, you know, you sort of have a point, but now everything's the world where people just, you mean out it is on Facebook? Oh, or like, you're stupid. Well, I grew up where if you went to a bar and you're talking to someone and you said, you're stupid, you probably get punched in the face. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's true, though. It's like people just say it. I got in an argument with it. this guy came when I made a joke about COVID. And I said, it's unbelievable that some people believe in Bigfoot, but they don't believe in COVID. Nothing political about that. Nothing. Mm. So some guy goes on a tangent about starting stuff with my friends. So I unfriend him. <clears throat> so then I get a, I get a message from him. Hey comrade, you and your Hollywood wannabes. well like I live in New Jersey. I said you live in Hollywood and I, I know half of Hollywood. So no. And he put this thing and he was all mixed. I unfriended him. And I'm like, Dude, you know, he, people take everything so serious now. And you know, I don't that's so why I don't post anything even a little bit political. Because, I have people just start saying stuff. Then you'll go. Well, that has nothing to do with a joke. Well, I guess you're right. So it's just it's, it's America's crazy. Now I don't know how it is over in England, but America's just nuts. Like I don't even I don't pay attention. My wife's very liberal. I know I I'm independent, but people just get so heated. You can't even make a joke anymore. And I know a lot of people. I know right wing comics off stage, but they're professionals. Where they go when I go on stage, I am not going to talk about politics. Because like I said earlier, people pay money to go. So if you start talking about this and you're pissing off half the people, they're not having fun. But that's what it is, always keeping up for social media. But there are people who just go for that crowd and it they forget. You know, if you're a hardcore right comic or hardcore left comic, you're losing 50% of your crowd. And the whole idea of entertaining is to get asses in the seat and make it laugh because it's a lot easier to make 300 people
1: laugh than 25 people. That's absolutely true. So around 1980, I would have been five or six. And my, growing up, my version of America in the 80s was through films like Wall Street and Valley Girl and the jo- and John Hughes being the big one. Was it Was it like that growing up in America? Was it all sunny shines and money and all that sort of stuff? You know,
0: I think it depends where you live. Okay, me, I grew up, as I said, I grew up in a... A nice town. You know, my parents were from my mom was from immigrants and my dad was, you know, second generation English German. My mom was Austrian Yugoslavian. And they wanted us to, to have a better life, even though they had good lives. So they worked and they, they put us in a nice suburb. Outside ten minutes, fifteen minutes outside Philadelphia. Nice area. We got to live, I got to live the Breakfast Club. I got to live that. It was like that. But what's funny is people don't know is the influence of England on us. Because I still remember when Duran Duran got big, and I had hair. I took a picture. This is no lie. I took a picture to the hair salon my mom took me to. It was this lady, Phyllis. I remember she was a big Abby lady with curly black hair. And I took a picture of Simon Lebon And <laughs> I said, I love my hair like that. And they're like,
1: oh, look how handsome Simon Lebon is. Like,
0: oh, I'm not ready. But, but it was. You know, The Breakfast Club. You know, great movie. You know, I, I graduated high school in 82. I think Breakfast Club came out in 82 or 83. But we all identify with that. In our high schools, they call them supporters. We had jobs. Okay, the athletes. We had the outcasts. We called them freaks, which you can't recall them now because they're all smoking pot. I mean, we you know everyone smoked pot in high school, but they were always out you know, freaks. And then we had the discos. They're the guys who like disco. And there was the groups. So it was a lot. You know, it was a lot like that. Like If you watch 16 Candles, I went to parties like that. Now, given I grew up on the East Coast, Valley Girl took on the West Coast, so we're... LA was like that but in middle America they really didn't get that I mean they may have but it was different that's why we saw movie like Footloose they could have danced in middle America you know but a lot of it was we did live that you know looking back and in, in America 80s stuff influenced it when Miami Vice came back all of us wanted to get those Don Johnson look we didn't shave and so yeah those 80s movies are pretty on I mean of course they exaggerate, like Anything, but I mean the John Hughes movies, they just hit you, you know, and there is the division, like some kind of wonderful and stuff like that. But yeah, they 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 were giving Breakfast Club, everyone I know relates to. That is my age. And you know, don't you forget about me, which is funny when we talk about music in the eighties, you know, I had I had um Pretty and Pink was a and I just the James Spader hair. So mm. everyone, whenever she's pictures of me, they go, You know, why were you in a John Hughes movie, Cooper? And um, <laughs> I had Andy McCluskey from O D on my show. And I, I asked him about If You Leave in the song from Pretty and Pink. And, and for me, if that movie came out in 85. And we were leaving college. And that meant a lot to us because it wasn't now with was social media. And the funny thing is, Andy told me is they wrote that song in like one day because they had another song placed in Pretty and Pink. And in the original Pretty and Pink. Ducky was supposed to get Molly Ringwald, not Andrew mm-hmm. McCarthy. But the people tested it and said we don't want Ducky to get her. So the song they had didn't match with the dancing, and they did it. But that's why for like those movies, the music was so important too. Because it, I mean, I just had we had a reunion of my like college and we stayed overnight and everything. And you talk about music in those movies. I mean, they they really shaped us and and because we did live that, you know, at a certain age. As I said, I was. In the middle I was in college and I, you know when those movies were coming out so yeah they 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 hit spot on John Hughes is brilliant man that guy mm. and you know and people forget he wrote he wrote the vacation movie you know yeah. he, he I mean which is funny they're funny ass movies mm. Christmas vacation is hysterical but he really hit the part and and I have a friend who was in breakfast club who played the janitor and wow. he said he said John actually John Kaplos he's done my like podcast I said, if you like 80s stuff here's a story we did a live version of my podcast, Cooper Talk. I had John Kaplos from The Breakfast Club in a coffee shop owned by Damone from Fast Times at Ridgemont High. He owned the coffee shop. And John Kaplos said, like when he got that part, you know, he was also on Sixteen Candles. He was the hairy bullhunk, the uh the thing. But his part wasn't supposed to be that big, but he got the part and it changed his life because those movies, it's funny, none of them did huge at the box office, but when they started getting on cable. And VHS, then they just blew up. So they, the in the for people my age, that was a big foundation for us because you know, and the music because we, we listened to like Bowie and stuff like that. But that was our older brothers and those movies, you know, like even the Woody Allen movies you really didn't get. But when John Hughes movies came out, it was just oh my god, like that's us, like that's that's that guy. You know, we know a guy like Bender on Breakfast Club. We know. I mean, I grew up in a town where we had a lot of Molly Ringwald this stock up girls whose parents bought them I mean I would take my mom's car to school every once in a while or I'd drive it with my brother when I was a freshman he was a senior but there was I mean our parking lot was full of red Camaros or and all those things and it was just so it, those movies really hit you know this, this show is about the 80s and those really hit the uh, they really hit us and, and they do looking back now it's still you know you can remember those lines and, and the lines from the movie and, and it's and it was a special time for us.
1: My favorite bit in The Breakfast Club, and I don't know what it means to this day, is when the headmaster's walking around and then he looks in the mirror and he goes, <laughs> I don't
0: know what that means either. I think it was just, it must be a line from the movie. And if the funny thing about The Breakfast Club, and this is one thing that irritates me about The Breakfast Club, Judd Nelson's crawling through the air ducts. <laughs> and, and he tells a joke, but he falls before the punchline. I never knew what the punchline to that joke was, and I tried <laughs> to get Jud Nelson on my show, and I haven't been able to to get that punchline. But that was I'm like, well, what was the punchline? It's like two, and the musically falls right through. So yeah. it's there's there's a lot of stuff, you know. Once again, that was taking place in Chicago, so there in America, there's different lingo everywhere. So mm-hmm. there was stuff that maybe Chicago. I was just in Buffalo visiting people, and they call soda, which we call soda, they call it pop. Like a size of "Get pop," and then they do that in the Midwest. So there's a lot of language to that in Chicago probably didn't translate to us because you know, have, you know a lot of the Philly people that like, use guys instead of you guys or come on, it's, it's just so there's probably something in that movie that I missed, but if you were from Chicago, you really really got because that all took place in Chicago.
1: I mean, what's nice as well is you, is you had a mix of the music and the films, and they were both just as good as each okay. other. And it wasn't okay. taken separately. Like if a song was from a film, and it was in the charts, it wasn't like oh that's the film from that song. It was like oh that's Don't You Forget About Me by Simple Minds.
0: Flashdance. Like, mm. I mean, Flashdance. You know, Irene and Michael uh, Zambello Maniac. You know those songs. Exactly. You didn't say to go oh that's I mean Flashdance. The song was Flashdance, but you didn't think of the movie. There was a great movie. I don't know if they ever saw Vision Quest. Mm, and it was uh, Matthew Modine was a wrestler and that soundtrack, I had Madonna singing Crazy About You, Red Rider singing Lunatic Fringe, you know there was all these great songs and you didn't sit there and go when you're, you remember Valley Girl, The Plimsolls, you know a million miles away you hear them and you think of the movie but you also think well no that's The Plimsolls and it's uh, it's very interesting.
1: Yeah like um, Psychedelic Furs and all that sort of stuff, yeah you just know it Yeah,
0: I melt with you, uh, Robbie I interviewed Robbie from Modern English and they didn't even they didn't even know the movie they didn't even know the song was in the movie. Like he was an American, <laughs> so let's say, check this out. And it was a huge part of the movie. But back then the music industry screwed everybody. The film companies still do. But they didn't know, but those movies the the soundtrack was so important in the eighties. The, the soundtrack to movies, but you're right. You 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 thought of as a sound you you would listen to the soundtrack. You do not have to and you wouldn't think about the movie, you go, God, like the pretty and pink soundtracks amazing you go god this is this is great music
1: you've got an amazing podcast um called cooper talk can we just sort of discover how that started and why you got into that
0: yeah uh you know it was 11 or 12 years ago i was living in la and you know when you're in la you're hustling and i was doing um corporate restaurant work and this guy i met at an event had an internet radio station and someone said oh cooper would be really good for a show because you want to do a show said and they only played indie music. So he goes, I go, yeah, but I want to do an 80s show. And he goes, well, we don't we don't have the license for that, so we have to play independent bands. I said, but I want to do talk, too. He goes, okay, you can do half talk, half uh, music. So I was still doing some comedy, so I was getting comics, I knew, to come on and we talk. And I really enjoyed it. But then all of a sudden, on the internet station, he texted me one day and he goes, man, he goes, a ton of people are listening. they were, You got really good numbers. And he goes, just you can do, you can do all talk if you want. So I said, All right. So I had an hour slot. And that's where I learned to interview, because I had never interviewed anyone in my life. Mm. I I never done it. But I knew, you know, how to listen and just, you know, thing, one thing is with my interviews, I don't plan anything. I have my research. I don't write anything out because I don't want it to be like this and that. But I start doing it. And then people would come into the studio. I remember Paul Tompkins is a big comic, you know, underground comic I know from Philly. He came in. Cato Kalin, if you don't know, he was the guy with OJ. I met him in a couple, OJ's house guests. He came in. And I just started getting guests. And then all of a sudden I started reaching out to people I know, on Facebook. And a guy Robbie Benson, was a big heartthrob in America, movie Ice Castles, a 101. He said he'd do it. So I was like, cool. So once you get, it's like a drug. Once you get that one hit, you're like, oh man, this is great. So I just kept getting guests. I just kept building. And then I would get I would get these actors and drummers that no one was asking for, especially the actors. Nobody was no one asked for these actors. I had Amanda Weiss from uh Fast at Regiment High and, and uh Better Up Dead, and they'd come in and they'd have fun. And they say to someone, Oh, Steve's a really good guy, you'll like it. So you come in the studio. I'd add Asner come in. You know, i I got him because some guy I had was the same PR person and I said, Who else she handle? He says, Is that as I can I have that asner? He goes, Yeah. So I learned, I just, it started building and then when the studio closed, I started getting a lot of musicians and I remember I, I was a big fan and I don't know if you heard of them. There's a big band from Philly called the Ooters. Mm-hmm. and uh, they had a big album. They just toured Europe. the very top, huge in Germany. And I got demo and I became friends with the drummer. And then I met this Jason Aldean's drummer and he got me people. So it just started snowballing. And when you start getting a list of people, you aim high. You know, no, I mean, I got Steven Van Zandt off of one email, you know, but uh-huh. then also some people say they'll do it and you get, you get burned a lot. I had some people say they'll do it. I never hear back, but I had someone from Band, I'm not going to say like, I'll do it, set it up, never showed up, you know, and I never respond when I go. I know things happen. So I just started building it. I just, I was persistent and I, and I love interviews. I would just get on and I would talk to these people and it's like anything in the business world and any world, if you're good at what you do and you know how to network. And, I, you know, and as I said, you know, and if you're not like a fanboy, if you talk to these people, because what I've learned is I've done, I've had nine, I've 966 episodes posted. Now I've done more before that, that aren't on my site because they were just people that were a local comic in Philly, I mean, in LA or whatever, but none of them, and this is God has truth. Not one has been a jerk. And I gotta tell you, man, I, and I interviewed, I've interviewed some big eighties people you know, Jack Hughes from Wang Chun was the most his nicest guy. The Late Tony Lewis from the outfield. So nice. And, you know, a lot of John Waite. John Waite was phenomenal. And he wasn't doing a lot of interviews. I don't know if he heard my show, but I emailed him. He said, I want to do it. And and then I he was in town. Uh, I interviewed him two and a half years ago. He was in town a few weeks ago. And I emailed him. I said, hell with it. I said, hey, I I told him, I said, listen, my mom said, the worst thing you do by asking is get a no. I said, Can okay, you put me on the guest list? And he did. Same with Dave Wakeling. Dave Wakeling, fun, so nice. And and you know, and these are people that I mean, tenderness. I got married four years ago. I had that on my soundtrack. I mean people well, who like picked up songs. And the guys, Andy McCluskey from OMD And I've just been lucky, you know, and, and I, I tell I tell one of the younger podcasters, I said, you know, you, you gotta deliver. You know, and, then, and a lot of guys are afraid to, well, how did, how did you get this guest? I go, well, they go, okay, there's a guy. Do you know Do you know the show, Better Call Saul? Is that in England? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, well, there's a, there's a blonde guy, Patrick Fabian. After the second season, I thought he was great. I asked the actor, I said, do you know Patrick Fabian? He goes, yeah. I goes, can you get him on my show? He goes, let me find out. Like half an half hour later, Patrick calls me. Yeah, I'd love to do it. All right. So he comes in studio. We have a blast. He's from about two hours where I grew up. So then all of a sudden- Better call, okay, call him. Saul keeps getting bigger and bigger. So after season five, I have his phone number, but I don't want to text him because I haven't talked to him in like four years. So I sent <laughs> him a message on Facebook. And I said, hey, Patrick, Steve, I'd love you to come back on. I didn't want to text you. And he goes, Coop, coop, text Dwight.' So he came back on. So when the season ended, the series ended, I said, how did I text him? He came back on. And all these guys are like, well, how'd you get him? I go, well, because I interviewed him before. Anyone knew, really, they knew who he was, but it was big. And I always tell people, you know, you can get guests, hmm. but there's also, you know, if you're going to get that big guest off the bat, you better be ready. I mean, you know, I was even, I was nervous with Stephen Van That was two years ago. I mean, I was eight seven hundred interviews under the belt. I'm a huge Springsteen fan. I like the Sopranos, hmm. you know. And the thing is, you have to displace it. You can't you can't make them feel like, hey, oh my God, it's Robbie. Robbie, I love you. No, you go, hey, you know, I have David Duchovny on, and uh, I love the show Californication, hmm. and Evan Handler was on Californication. And he he was on like six months before. And he says, if the company's ever on the show, and I didn't think I'd ever get the company, he said, ask this question about how I got the part. So I said to David, I said, I'm going to ask you a question no one has asked you. Evan Handler told me. Right then, David was like, oh, this guy's cool. He's not kissing my butt. He understands. And the thing is, I appreciate what my guests do. A lot of people do so much research and they ask these obscure questions. I call all my interviews, I call organic chats. I just want to talk to people, especially if they've had a place. I had Lamal from uh, Kajagoogoo, and I talked about that song, Too Shy to Shy, what it was like in college. You know, it was one of those songs where it was slow than fast. So if a girl dancing in the fast part and dancing the slow part, you probably were going to get a slow dance after that, and you might get lucky. And then he went on to tell a whole story because I think a lot of these people, especially as you get older, that, that music's been around forever, and they appreciate the people, the stories, because that's what, to me, you know, music is there's a story behind the songs and and my original point was everyone all these guests have been nice I have never met a jerk and mm-hmm. you know because people, people have this predisposition you know actors musicians a lot of them are just guys like us man just trying to make it you know a, a lot of them people so many of those 80s people got screwed by the yeah. record companies I think in John Waits documentary he said he, he was on the babies for six years Selling records one After six years, he had six thousand dollars in his bank account. But people think they live in mansions and until he wrote Missing You and then it changed mm. everything. But a lot of them they were, I'm Martin Chambers from pretenders. I interviewed him and he said, you know, during the pandemic, he goes, We have to get on the road. I didn't write the music. These guys are guns for hire. And and yeah. it's
1: just crazy. And there's two versions of the song, isn't there? There's their version and your version How you perceive it, which is wonderful.
0: Oh, totally. You know, and where they came from, right? And you hear some songs that you love, they just wrote like that. And, you know, it's, you know, it's so fascinating. Songwriters are so fascinating. I mean, when you listen to like The Who, you know, Abba O'Reilly, you hear the, the keyboards, and then at the end, there's a violin. If you, if you pitch to someone to go, I'm going to start with this weird keyboard, then this, then Townsend's going to sing sort of off key, and then there's going to be a violin, <laughs> record producer's to be like, what? <laughs> but it became a classic and then that's what's that's what's great and that's what's great when you talk to these people they, they
1: have they have good stories i mean it's a fantastic show and and the guests are amazing on it and they do open up to you I, and i was listening thinking this is this is great stuff if people want to find the show where's the best place to get it and find out about yourself if you're doing stand-up okay
0: well you can go to coopertalk.net i want all the platforms iTunes all that but go to coopertalk.net because they're there's a picture of the artist because a lot of times people don't know who a musician is, especially with actors. They don't know who the actor's name is, but they go, oh, that guy was in the sopranos. So go to Coopertalk.net. You can follow me on Twitter at Cooper Talk. I'm not really on that much anymore. Threads I'm on at Cooper Talk One and Instagram at Cooper Talk One. But I got threads, and I don't want really to use it. And if you're on Facebook, uh follow Cooper Talk Radio. Or just add me. You can add Steve Cooper. And if we have mutual friends, I'll add you. If not, I'm not going to add you. But because you never know nowadays, you get people you, and you go, you get some weird message. You go, what the hell? But <laughs> Cooper Talk Radio. And, that, and and then that's just follow that. And that's the best way to get in touch with me. And now, uh, Cooper, Cooper at CooperTalk.net. You can email me.
1: Steve, it's been wonderful talking to you today, Matt. I've really
0: enjoyed it. Thank you. I appreciate it.